welcome to Contrast. On this podcast, we compare and contrast our artistic journeys, creative process, and philosophies on art making. I'm Bethany Greenberg, and I'm here with my husband, Josh, and we are both visual artists with different styles and backgrounds. Hello, Bethany. How are you doing? I'm okay. My belly hurts. Oh, why does your belly hurt? Because there's a baby in it. Oh, that would make sense. <laughs> it's getting more and more stretched feeling. <laughs> and he's very active. He is very active. At our last ultrasound, the nurse called him a wild man. He is a wild man. He has nightly trampoline time on my bladder. <laughs> I'm 27 and a half weeks. There's a long way to go still. Yes. And he, I can definitely feel him. And I can even see him moving sometimes. Yes, that's, that's the newest development. You can occasionally <laughs> see the movement from outside of my skin. Yeah, it's fun. I'm glad he's active. It's a constant reassurance that he's well and alive and strong. Yep. So that's good. Okay, our topic tonight is going to be our paintings about Africa. So we have both lived in Africa at different times for different lengths of time, different parts of Africa. So I was born in Kenya. My parents were missionaries, so I grew up on the mission field. So born in a little town called Unkobo, Kenya. We lived amongst the Meru people. Are they part of the Maasai people or is that was that no. nearby? The Maasai were just south of us, okay. of the Meru. Because I knew you were close to that. Yeah, we were pretty close. The Meru are, they're called the Bantu people, part of the Bantu tribes. And then you also have the Nilotic tribes, which the Maasai are part of. So the Bantu are typically smaller. They're generally vegetarian. That they you know, grow stuff. They're agricultural-based. The Nilotic people are more, they eat more meat. They are a lot taller and skinnier and they're the runners kind of. So yeah, we were located right in the middle of Kenya on the slopes of Mount Kenya. I think Meru, the town I grew up in was seven, eight or 9,000 foot elevation. It was very, very high. So it was beautiful. All year round, never got below 55, never got above 95. It's usually 75 mm. most of the year. <laughs> okay, Josh is bragging. <laughs> <laughs> I lived in East Africa, which is very different than West Africa where Bethany was. Yeah, I was in West Africa in Togo. And my Togo missionaries would say that they were the real missionaries and those East African missionaries were just on a luxurious vacation in their <laughs> glorious 70-degree green wonderland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you take people from here over there, and it's still rough. <laughs> but not it, it's just very different. And East Africa and West Africa are very different. Yeah, so Togo, if you don't know, is right next to Ghana. It's between Ghana and Benin. And it's on the coast. It's on the, it's in the armpit of Africa. And we lived in the middle of Togo. And that is south of the Sahara Desert. 
So it was not desert, but we definitely had a pretty rough dry season called the Harmaton. Winds would would blow in and it didn't rain for three months straight. And it was very dry, lots of dust. We would sweep at night. And then in the morning, you could still see the footprints on the floor from where someone would walk to the bathroom in the middle wow. of the night. And that's with the window panes closed. And it would be hot, so you'd want, you know, breeze coming through. Well, the Harmaton was actually the cooler time of year. Oh, really? Okay. The hot season came after that. And man, hot season was the worst. It was like 115, 120. Like after work, I was teaching school. So after school, when it was empty, I would sit on a table only wrapped in a panya was the name of the African just stretch of fabric spraying and fanning myself because I didn't want to sit on a couch because that was too hot. So I would sit on the bare. That's rough. I do have to say in the rainy season, Togo is green and beautiful as well. Okay. And tolerable temperature ish. (laughs) (laughs) So I was in Kenya from birth till about nine. How old were you? Like what? When were you there? I lived in Africa for just under a year straight out of college. So I was 22, 22 to 23. So I was an adult. Josh was a kid and very different experiences. So it's definitely a point of contrast. Definitely. Between us. It's like for me, Africa was the only thing that I knew. That was normal life. And America was like this, you know, this big, massive, clean, amazing rich, wealthy vacation time with grandparents and Christmas. Like when we moved to America, when I was nine, I had been to America, I think, I want to say four times. You know, it was just a very, very different experience. So for me, Africa is very homey. Um, It's very familiar. Um, It's very nostalgic, comfortable, great. Very different for you, huh? Yeah, my my experience and like feelings towards my time in Africa are pretty different. There are things that I loved about it. I treasure that time. I love the relationships that I built there. I would say that I I love it as a as a place. And um, I mean Togo, the people there. We were with the Kabye people. Um, I have I have love in my heart for Togo, but my memories are not warm and fuzzy. Like it was challenging. It was challenging. It was it was a struggle in a lot of ways, and I value it very much. It was very disillusioning. I think I spent most of my college time with this idealistic romantic view of living in a developing country and mission work. Um, you know, in a on a college campus with a community of people that are excited about that. It can be very exciting. All the comforts of America, but the the excitement and the what's the exotic thrill maybe of imagining living in another country. I had already been to Papua New Guinea, and so I was not I was not as idealistic. <laughs> I still went with this idea of falling in love with it, the way that friends I had 
had. And like, I was friends with people like Josh who grew up there and loved it and had these, you know, I could feel his nostalgia about it. I wanted to love it like that, but it was really hard. What do you think were kind of the hardest things about it? Can you pinpoint some specific stuff? I think some of the things were just like regular daily life things that I just, for some reason, didn't expect, (laughs) you know, (laughs) tedious work. And I think one of the hardest things for me about being in Togo actually was that I didn't speak French and French was the language that all of the people spoke. And so I was not able to get to know the African people there and my daily work life was just the mission team was teaching those kids, which, I mean, I loved the kids, but it was just a very limited social circle. And like, we didn't have a car. I was living in a house with two other girls my age, and we were together all the time. We were all having culture shock and post-college shock. And (laughs) we couldn't get away from each other. It was really hard relationally with them. And then the mission team we were with, They had a pretty hard year, just coincidentally, like amongst themselves on the team. And so we were feeling that tension and that was our whole world. And I was homesick and there was really challenging things about just living there. Like shopping was more difficult, not speaking the language, sanitation of certain things, just like general comforts. It was very hot. We didn't have much relief from that. The constant exposure, not exposure, um, like stimulus, when everything is so new and different, you're overwhelmed by stimulus. Smells were different and protocol of how to do things. And a hard thing, honestly, was how dirty and how much trash was everywhere, along with smells, poop and pee on the sides of streets from animals and people that smelled and people would pile up their trash and burn it right next to our house. And that would waft into our windows (laughs) and it stank, you know? Yeah. In America, we're so used to having a incredibly robust infrastructure that is so robust, it's almost invisible. You know, most people don't even know how a toilet flushes. <laughs> Where does it go? How does it? And in Africa, you have to think about that. Even if you have a flushing toilet, you you know you kind of have to know how it works because you probably have to have a water collection system on the top of your house or somewhere that collects water when the main water gets shut off or an elephant tramples the the water mains. <laughs> So that you can still have water and then you know, everything's gravity fed. And so you have to think about where that is and how it works. Yeah. Like we did have plumbing and electricity in town, but those things were not reliable always. We did lose water a couple times. Most of the time we were just losing electricity multiple times a day. Yeah. And that's just a, a reality of life. It's not a, a judgment. It's just... This is so different. And when you enter a different place, it's just very challenging. It was that way for me coming to America. The stimulation, going to a grocery store was exhausting and produced anxiety and still does 
to, to some extent. Like you get triggered. Yeah, I get triggered. If I'm having a really emotional day or, you know, something is going on in life or something and going to the grocery store is one of those places that I really try to avoid. Do you think it goes back to that? Like, because that was one of the... Yep, I think Josh's family really had a hard time coming back. Yeah, it was very challenging. So coming back to art... You know, one of the ways that that has played out with my art is I don't think I ever drew or painted anything about Africa until like the end of college. I I think probably for a lot of reasons, but kind of the main thing was it was kind of too painful in a lot of ways. And so my experience of moving to America I never explored through art and still to this day haven't really. I have done maybe four or five pieces that have some kind of relationship or connection to to Kenya. And that's really it. Like from having lived there for 10 years and I lived there for 10 months and I've done at least that many. So I suspect sometime in my life, all of this is going to come pouring out. <laughs> but I don't know if I'm ready yet, even still. And it's not like it's like this, you know, I don't feel like this deep turmoil within me. It's just, for some reason, a box I haven't opened. Okay. And maybe I will. But he has done a couple, and we'll talk about those. So you did... The Maasai man while we were in Africa and we will link in Africa in, I mean, I'm sorry, while we were in college. (laughs) Yeah, I did, I did, um, two paintings of him and it was just actually a friend of mine took the photographs and I just really liked them and kind of wanted to jump into portraits. I remember seeing it in college. I don't know if it was for one of our painting classes or not, but I remember just loving that painting and also knowing Josh and knowing his history in Africa. I saw that painting of that man as Josh's like spirit self. <laughs> My African self. His African <laughs> self that like he was this white redhead on the outside, but that was his like soul. <laughs> yeah. And I've always associated that painting with you. I really like the painting for kind of the subject matter, for what it is, kind of one of my first portraits. Um, It's a good subject matter, a good image. But uh, now looking back on it after going to Florence Academy and the training I have now, I look back on it and think, "Ah, you know, it wasn't painted very well. So it's a good a, image. It's a different <laughs> style than his classical realism training, but it's still an awesome painting. Well, and he like didn't want to talk about it in this episode because of that. And I rolled my eyes at him and told him he had to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd kind of like to paint it again and kind of do a compare and contrast. Yeah, like a second one. Yeah, not over it. Oh, no. No, I gave it to my dad. Oh, okay. So it's hanging up in their house. Okay. That's special. Um, I had that thought about painting over paintings because one of 
the paintings I did in Africa, I also look at and think, ooh, I'm, I'm a lot better painter than I was then. <laughs> like, I'd rather <laughs> show something that looked better. But, but it um, is important, isn't it? To it look is, back on the art. It's like a diary entry. It's a record of where yeah. you were at the time. Don't paint over your past paintings, please. If you're yeah. ever tempted to do that, don't do it. It's like ripping pages out of a diary and rewriting them. Like, that would be a lie. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't lie. <laughs> yeah. So that was one of my first ones. And then I've done a couple um, a couple other charcoal drawings that have been good. I did one of a Maasai warrior dancing. The Maasai jump when they're doing a kind of this dancing thing. So they jump really, really high. So I've done a drawing of that. And that was that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. When did you do that? Um, I think that was while I was going to the Florence Academy, but I think it was during a summer break. Okay. And it's on a beautiful paper. It's on a Stonehenge paper. (laughs) (laughs) Just to be, to nerd out a little bit. Stonehenge is a company that makes a really nice drawing paper. Is it toned? Yes. Then I have a painting sitting over there on our wall of two heads carved, African heads on a Maasai blanket. I have a lot of Maasai stuff, evidently, in my art, but I haven't ever done any Meru things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Isn't Maasai that. kind of more like, tour? they have more touristy sort of iconic yeah, I mean, stuff? Yeah. It's like, you know, when you think of Africa, you, it's the Maasai. You know, the Maasai live in the, in the savannah, so that's where people go on safari. Mm. I remember Josh painting the heads, the wood carvings, because that was the summer that Josh was home from from school, from the Florence Academy. And I took my first trip ever up to the Northwest and visited him in Portland. And that was the first time we saw each other in years. So actually, we reconnected while you were in Africa. Yeah. So after college, we kind of ended college on a bad note where we weren't really close friends at the time. (laughs) Josh is laughing. I'm giving her a look. Because I was always okay. He's like, I was nice. You were the jerk. (laughs) It's true. Um, I got mad at him and told him basically to leave me alone. She wrote this long letter. It was dramatic. It was. And I read it and laughed and threw it away and just ignored and I it. I thought it was this big deal. And I was trying, my, my goal in the letter was to ensure that he never pursued me again. Anyway, that's sort of the note we ended college on. And we didn't really talk again until I was in Africa that next year. And I was kind of struggling and I knew he had grown up there and could relate. And so... And so he was really nice and helpful and and very encouraging to me. So when I was in Africa, I was like, oh, crap, I do like Josh. (laughs) (laughs) And I wrote a journal entry that I have since found where I said, I want to marry Josh Granberg. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) And what, like six years later, you did? I mean, I think it was like eight years later that we actually got married. (laughs) <laughs> Six years later, we like saw each other in person again and dated anyway. Um, so Africa brought us back together. Mm-hmm. 
So tell us about some of the paintings that you've done kind of processing your time in Africa. Well, really the first and only painting that I did in Africa that was also using subject matter from Africa was the painting of My Lady in Blue. And that painting is so precious to me. It represents both the struggle I had there, but then also finding beauty in it too. Mm. And something that I really loved and enjoyed and found beautiful there was the bright colors in the clothing and fabrics. And this one woman that I saw in the marketplace, she was wrapped in this big, like almost floor length blue shawl that just seemed to like float around her. And it was so striking. It was so beautiful. And I had some moments like that, that I was just mesmerized and thought, I've never seen this kind of beauty in America. Um, and she just, you, you can't really see her face in the painting, but her face was beautiful. Her blue against the entire background was beautiful. So that's what I was trying to capture. And the time that I painted it was when the rest of the team was gone and I was by myself. One of the biggest struggles there that I had, I don't know if I mentioned this, was just that I was never alone. And I, I was not self-aware to realize that I needed more alone time. Like we were always with the missionary families and the two girls that I lived with. We were always together. I took some walks by myself, but that was it. And I was alone. And it was such a relief to be alone and just process and take long baths and do what I wanted and just have alone time. And so that painting was part of the processing. That's definitely a big realization in yourself to realize you need alone time. <laughs> yeah. It is a beautiful painting. I really enjoy it. So you have a couple other ones, right? That, so that one was a watercolor. And then I did another watercolor of a girl hanging clothes on a clothesline. And it was kind of that same thing of wanting to show the real picture of what everything looked like, including, including kind of the mess and the roughness and the dirt, but also the beautiful colors and just a scene from daily life. And that was right outside of one of the missionaries' houses, actually. We walked everywhere, so I would walk by that scene um, weekly, if not more than weekly. Some of my struggle was just new awareness of, of some poverty and processing that, just how little people had, but that life and community, the people came across as a very happy people. Yeah. And clothing is a very interesting thing, like how different cultures view it, value both in what's valuable and style, things like that. Because like in Kenya, denim is very expensive. Hmm. So when you saw an African in blue jeans, you know they were wealthy. They were very wealthy. Whereas most people would be wearing like slacks and a suit jacket. And so we would view that as, as very dressed up here. Whereas there, that was much cheaper and much, it was more casual than wearing blue jeans would be. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think there's, there's lots of reasons. One, it was very expensive. Two, denim is much more durable, so it would last longer. Huh. 
but also availability. Just very different. I think painting some of those things too, for me, it was grieving that I couldn't be part of it more. Hmm. Mostly because of the language barrier. That was the most immediate thing that I could feel and observe, but I'm sure it was so much more than that. That I couldn't really understand. It's like these people are right in front of me and I'm interested in them, but it still feels so inaccessible to, to understand and be part of. And probably not just language, just culture. I mean, everything about cult the culture, yeah. Yeah. Another painting I did after coming back that is dear to me is my painting of the chief. It is an oil painting. This is more of a like technical side note with this painting that this is a good example of why I do drawings on paper now and then transfer it to canvas instead of starting on the canvas. Because I spent hours drawing out the details of this guy's face on the canvas only to back up and realize, this was such a beginner mistake, <laughs> only to back up and realize the entire thing, it was too short compared to how wide it was. And I had to erase it and start over and I wasted all that work. <laughs> well, you did it though. It wasn't too precious. I, I, so you could do I it. I did it. I considered just painting it as it was because I was so frustrated. But <laughs> oh, then I realized this is, this is from an important, time in my life that I'm commemorating and I, it's worth it to make it right. <laughs> so I erased it and redrew it. So, you know, live and learn. I'll never do that again. <laughs> I took the picture of this man in Togo in one of the villages that the missionaries worked in that it was one of my last days in Togo actually. And it was kind of a treat because I went out just with Nicole Cannell, just me, not all three of us girls, wanted to take pictures of people. And she knew that I wanted references for artwork for later. And so we went out and the, the particular village was close to the border of Benin. And on that same trip, we took a walk out into the middle of nowhere and we had a guide and he said, okay, I'm going to take you to Benin. <laughs> <laughs> and we, so we walked on this trail for 20 minutes or so. And then he said, okay, put your foot there and your other foot there. Now you're in two places at once. You're in Benin and Togo. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> well, that's fun. Um, so anyway, I got to take pictures of a lot of them. And um, I think a lot of them had not seen a camera like that before with, with a digital screen. And so they just got this huge kick out of looking at the pictures of themselves oh, on the screen. <laughs> and cool. he was the chief of that area of villages. And so um, he, he just happened to be there and let me take his picture. Awesome. That's a fun story. Yeah. Cool. People have asked about buying it, but I've just jacked up the price so high that like technically it is for sale, but <laughs> I don't mind holding on to it. One last note concerning painting subjects from Africa or that just have darker skin in general. I enjoy painting darker skin so much more because oh, it is so much easier. It's easier and so much more fun. And I am beautiful. I've told my students that. Painting white people is so frustrating. It's so easy to make the colors look so bizarre and clown-like. <laughs> and, and it's just not as fun. I would much rather paint 
darker skin tones. This is a random question, but have you ever sold something that you really wish you hadn't? No, but you have. <laughs> I have. You've sold something I wish you hadn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that painting that another time. Week. That painting's why I fell in love with him. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about that next week. Yeah. We'll t- yeah. We'll talk about another another set of our paintings next time. Okay, that sounds great. Well, this was a great conversation. Yeah. I hope everyone enjoyed it. So Josh's challenge is to do more paintings about Africa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like there wasn't much of a conclusion to this. It's like, it's still a journey. It's still going on. It's still... Yeah, absolutely. But we we both have, we thought it was something we have in common in a way, but our experiences with Africa is so different from one another that I thought it would be interesting to contrast our ideas. Yeah. Okay, so next week we'll do this again with some different paintings. See you then. Thank you.